Exodus chapter 2, I want to begin reading at verse 1 through the end of verse 15. And then I'm going to move over to verse 23 through 25. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitum or bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river uh, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and and, and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? The Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son and she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, the two Hebrews were struggling together and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now we'll look at verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, first we want to thank you for our brothers and sisters at Bethany Baptist Church. We thank you that they have remained faithful for many years. And you say to them, as you say to us, they need endurance. They need to endure until they receive what has been promised. And so we pray today for their endurance. And we pray for their revival, that you would revive their souls. And we pray that for ourselves as well, that we might be people who endure, that you might revive us as well. And that when we leave today, we'll be more inclined, as my brother Nick said, we'll be more inclined to go share the faith with others. That we'll, we'll have such a look at you today. We'll be so moved by your great generosity of grace. And we'll see what you are doing in this world. That we will go forth in your name and proclaim your goodness and your grace through Christ it is in his name we pray. Amen. We are in a series in Exodus, and you might ask, what is Exodus about? Well, most of us know, I think, but 
if I could put it in, in one sentence, we might say it this way. It's about the Almighty God rescuing his persecuted people out of Egypt that they may come and serve him. Uh, this took place many hundreds of years ago. And you might say, you know, it's an interesting story, Brother Van. Kind of neat story, but really, what relevance does it have today? I mean, you know, it's 2018. What purpose does this story have for us today? Is it relevant at all? I read this week about a ministry called Open Doors Ministries. They have worked in the world's most oppressive countries, empowering Christians who face persecution. At the beginning of this year, they put out a book entitled World Watch List. It's a list of the 50 countries where it's most dangerous to follow Jesus. Country number 17, Egypt. There are only 10% of the population in Egypt right now who are believers. They are overwhelmed. They are overwhelmed by the presence of those who are adherents to the religion of Islam. And the persecution has intensified greatly over the last two years. Beginning in 2016, believers began to find their houses burned to the ground and their churches being burned to the ground. You might remember in the news, on Palm Sunday 2017, two churches were bombed, killing 45 believers. They gathered just like we do today. They gathered, they prayed, they sang songs, they were opening the word of God and a bomb went off and they experienced the last day of this earthly life. One Christian leader in Egypt said these words and I, I wrote them down because they, they struck me as being very relevant and important for us. He said, we are dealing with a dictator. Everything is going in the wrong direction. Now, I want you to try to get a hold of that for a moment. These are Christians in Egypt in a very difficult spot, oppressed. They are seen as a threat, not as a blessing. They are seen as a threat. They're living under a dictator, someone who sees them as a threat, who hates them and persecutes them. And Christians are saying, you know, it sure looks like everything is going in the wrong direction. I thought, how relevant that is. That's exactly the case for the people of God in the early chapters of Exodus. They were living under a Pharaoh, a dictator, who saw them as a threat, hated them, persecuted them heavily. They must have felt like everything is going in the wrong direction. And I bet that there's some of you here today, some of you who love the Lord, some of you have dedicated your lives to following Jesus Christ, yet you look around and you say, it sure looks like Everything is going in the wrong direction. See, is this relevant? You better believe it is. Chapter 1 has closed on an ominous note. The Pharaoh said, all right, every male child born, throw them in the Nile. He was, he was positioned to get rid of all the Hebrew male children. But we, we are looking back in retrospect, and we know that God has a bigger and better plan in place that will not be stopped. I mean, this looks bad, but, but we, we have the advantage of looking back. They didn't have that advantage. We also have this advantage. We know that this was written for our sake. 
In fact, it says this, we were, it was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If your hope is lagging, if your hope, if your Christian hope needs reviving, then let's look at this today. And may our hope be renewed. Christian hope is living in confident expectancy of a promised outcome in a waiting period before the promise is carried out. And our waiting period, brothers and sisters, our waiting period right now looks as if everything is going in the wrong direction. So I want to present a question, and you'll see it on the overhead this morning. What is God doing when everything is going the wrong way? What is God doing when everything is going the wrong way? Now, this would be a question the people of God would ask. Okay, So if you are one of his people, if you have received Jesus Christ and have been given the power and the privilege of becoming a child of God, this might be a question that we would ask. The world doesn't ask this question. Christians are asking, what is God doing when everything seems to be going the wrong way? And that may sound a little presumptuous. You say, Brother Van, do you think you can answer that question? You know, like, Brother Van, could you tell me what God is doing? I know that sounds a little presumptuous, I know. But I want to answer it from the scriptures. And so it's not, it's not me, it's not my answers. Certainly what I see, and I think you'll see in the scriptures. What is God doing when it seems that everything is going the wrong way? First answer is this. When everything is going the wrong way, God remains actively committed to his word. Let's start there. When everything is going in the wrong way, what is God doing? He is remaining actively committed to his word. What do we mean by that? Well, let, let's unpack that for a moment. First, let's ask, what is so special about these people? You know, we hear about the Israelites in, in, in Egyptian bondage, the Hebrews in Egyptian bondage. What, what's so special about these people? They're oppressed, but what, what makes them so special? I mean, we just assume for a moment, you know, that, 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 okay, God rescues these people, but what's so special about them? Why is God willing to move heaven and earth to rescue them? Why is he so committed to rescue them? You need to ask that question. What's so special about them? You know what the answer is? Their relationship with God. It's not because they're more moral than anybody. It's not because they did everything right. It's because of their relationship with God. God is on their side and all of his promises are for them. See, you've got to remember who these people are. And let's look at a few verses to see that. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. He said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Notice that phrase, make of you a great nation. Now, what does that mean? Well, you, it means that Abraham and his wife Sarah are going to have a son. And then there's, you know, that he's going to marry, and there's going to be more children. There's going to be more children and more children. And, and God's saying, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, Abraham. How, how many people is that going to be? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, God tells Abraham this. And he brought him outside and, and said, look in, toward the heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said, so surely shall your offspring be. So get the picture, Abraham standing out on a starry night looking it up and God says, Abraham, count the stars. Well, I can't do that. That's too many. Well, surely, surely, you know, so shall your offspring. But that, that's how great of a nation you're going to be. But then, just a few verses later, he says this. 
On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I give this land. The very land that Abraham was standing on at that time, God says, I'm going to give this great nation, all your offspring, I'm going to give them this land. So notice what's happening here. God gave Abraham two promises, right? Promises of many offspring. And number two, what was it? Land. All right. Remember that. Because in the first chapter of Exodus, we just looked at it last week. The first chapter of Exodus, this fulfilling of the first promise, this offspring has come to pass. Exodus chapter one, verse seven, you know, they begin to multiply and grow and grow. And that's what caused the Pharaoh to say, whoa, whoa, we got to put a stop to this. There's too many of them. And then just a few verses later, when he amped up all the persecution upon them, what happened? Did it cause them to decrease or increase? It caused them to increase. See, what we need to see there is it's this God is blessing. He's keeping his covenant promise. What remained, though? The promise of land. So how do you fulfill that promise? How, do you, how does God fulfill the promise of land to this offspring who are living in Egypt? He fulfills it by getting them out of Egypt, right? And so what we see in Exodus is a result of God's commitment to his people and to his word, keeping his promise. These people are special because they're God's people. They're in relationship with God. They can't help themselves. They need help outside of themselves. And God is keeping his promise to them. Now, you know, sometimes the reason why that doesn't really shake us very much, we don't really, it's because we live in a land of broken promises. Probably everyone here has experienced broken promises. It may have come from a parent, someone that you really loved and trusted, and they made a promise, and they broke that promise. Friends, I just want to tell you, that's part of the human experience. It really is. It's part of the human experience. You know why? Because we're finite. The fact is, no matter how hard we try, we sometimes fail due to either a lack of commitment or a lack of resources. In other words, you, we make a promise and we just have lack commitment, we don't keep it. Or we make a promise that's so big we lack the resources to fulfill the promise. And so when we hear about God being a promise-keeping God, we're kind of like, yeah, yeah, okay. But, but listen, don't lump God into our finiteness. Don't, don't put God into a, the finite category. God is infinite. God is the creator. We're the creatures we, ha- we have all the shortages. He has all the riches. And so God is infinite, and he has both the commitment and the resources to keep his promises. Notice in Numbers chapter 23, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man, that's a, man, a, a, a person, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? Or has he spoken, and will not fulfill it? To the church, we find in 2 Corinthians For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. So so Christ comes, Christ comes. All of God's promises are wrapped up in him. They're all yes in him. It's like God saying, see, I told you, told you so. There's there's all my promises. And so here's what we ought to do. You know, we ought to hear hear this right now. We go, man, I serve a promise-keeping God. No matter matter how much the Democrats or the Republicans fail, (laughs) You know, no, no matter how, how things may turn out, no matter how it may seem like things are going the wrong way, 
I'm one of God's children. And he's made promises and he keeps his promises. And you know why we don't get excited about that sometimes? It's because everyday concerns can blind us to this truth. It's as simple as that. Everyday concerns, all the the cares of this world. We're kind of like the seven-year-old boy. Seven-year-old boy's playing with his little toy truck. And, you know, somebody walks through the living room, accidentally steps on it. And the boy goes, ah, my truck, my truck. And then dad comes along and says, look, it's going to be okay. I promise you. I promise it's going to be okay because we just found out this morning that your great, great uncle, you, you didn't know him. But he died and he, he, he left your name in the will and you just inherited $100 million, son. It's in a trust fund for you. A seven-year-old looks up and goes, but my truck. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how we behave. When things seem to go in the wrong way for us, our truck is crashed and, and all the while, all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ if you know him. See, when all things... When all things are going wrong, God is committed to his promise to make all things new. Think about that, friend. Right now, things are broken. Things are messed up. But God has promised, one of his promises, God is going to make all things new. Take that in this week. Let it be sweet to your heart. And we have to dial it in. Dial it in so it comes in loud and clear. So when everything is going the wrong way. God is committed. But secondly, when everything is going in the wrong way, God is at work in the ordinariness and messiness of life. We're, we're in chapter two. And chapter two, you might say, is, a, is God's rollout of a deliverer. You understand what a rollout is, right? And, and, and what he's doing, he's showing us who his human instrument is going to be to deliver his people. And so by rollout, you know, you look at the book of Exodus and you think, how's, it, how's God going to get this plan started? He's kind of announcing it here, you know, and how's, how's it going to roll out? And we might imagine this. Now consider, God knows there's a Pharaoh, okay, powerful Pharaoh, and, and they hate the people of God. You know, they're, they're persecuting the people of God. And so you think that God's going to, you know, when he rolls out to deliver, it's going to be like the Avengers, you know. He's going to get the Avengers. They're going to come on the scene. Let's, let's gather all up the, the heroes and get them to come in. They'll take care of Pharaoh in one day. And that'll all be over. Does God bring in the Avengers? Does he use an Avenger style of rollout? No. He uses a baby. Now listen, he uses a baby boy. Now is God being sextus? <laughs> no, no. Think about it. He is rolling out a deliver in the form of a baby boy in light of chapter 1, verse 22. What did it say? Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast it into the Nile. Now, let's get a hold of this for a minute. God is rolling out his deliverer, okay? I'm going to show you who my deliverer is going to be. It's not the Avengers. It's a baby boy. Can't you see it? Can't you see in this? Just imagine from our work with me. In a a room, doors closed. God's sitting there. Here's, Here's my rollout. Who is it? Who is it? Uh, baby boy. What? <laughs> baby boy? Don't you know what Pharaoh said? There's no hope for a baby boy. He's not going to make it. As I thought about that this week, I thought, what's the best way to maybe help get your attention and get a hold of this? And so I've got a couple of videos that I want you to see. They're each 30 seconds, 30 seconds, that's all. 
So let me, let me set it up, okay? First video uh, is, is a clip of, of, of Stevie Ray Vaughan. It's one of the, probably considered probably maybe the best blues guitarist who ever lived. He died in a plane crash a few years ago. Uh, he's, he, in this song, he's doing the introduction to uh, a song of his called Pride and Joy. And so let's watch this 30 seconds first, and then we'll come back and set the second one up. We could go on, but you're already wondering, what are we listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan for? All right, here's my point. Start with, here you got famous, famous guitar player, expensive guitar, full band, and he's burning it up, okay? There's no, you could watch the rest of this. He's fantastic. The next video you're going to see is same song, different person, no band, no fame, same song. Let's listen to it. I wish we could play the rest of this because I tell you, I cannot, I cannot watch that without laughing. And it's not because it's silly or anything like this. Let me explain to you. These two guys are in Walmart, okay, and somebody's filming this. And they walk in and they pick up a toy guitar, a toy guitar, and he starts playing Pride and Joy. And then they start singing it. You've got to look this up. It is great. You'll just sit there and laugh because it is so good that you're using a little toy guitar to get this done. Now, here's my point. That first video... With your, with your rocking band and expensive guitar and fame and all, 396 views on YouTube. Second video, do you know how many views of that second video? It's going on 8 million right now. <laughs> See, my point is this. It's like what we're seeing in chapter 2 in this rollout. It's like, it's like God walks onto the world stage not with a Fender Stratocaster, not with a, a Gibson Les Paul. He walks out with a Walmart toy guitar and blows everybody away. That's what we're seeing in chapter 2. Isn't that great? I mean, what you're seeing here is this, this baby. This baby, once doomed by death, or doomed to death, I should say, by Pharaoh's decree, is going to become the very instrument of Pharaoh's destruction. Isn't that great? It's like, you know, we're worried about it. Here comes a baby. What gonna, what's Pharaoh going to do? He's going to get killed. What's going to happen? He's going to bring him down. And you know why? You know why that this little baby boy is going to make it? It's because in verse 3, he was put in a basket. And most of you know, probably, that the Hebrew word there for basket is what? Ark. It's the only other place in the Bible other than Noah's Ark. Think about it. See, in other words, God is saying, God is saying when mama puts that baby in the basket and she puts that pitch around it, you know, same thing that Noah did. God is saying, hey, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. I'm going to preserve Moses just like I did Noah. And all the while, while Pharaoh in chapter one, he's building all these impressive cities. You got this ordinary Israelite woman who's building this tiny unimpressive ark to place God's deliverer in. And in this ark, just like Noah's ark, 
will become the vehicle through which God rescues the righteous out of Egyptian bondage. God says, I promised you offspring and I promised you land. I got to get you out of Egypt to get to that land. And he does it with the toy guitar of Moses. When everything is going in the wrong direction, God is at work in the ordinariness and the messiness of this life. Now, I want to say something real quick to fathers and young men. Young men, young husbands, fathers, even grandfathers. I want you to think about this with me. God has chosen the ordinariness of fatherhood to reach the next generation. Now, listen to me. Think about this. Men, young men, fathers, leading their family, not only, not only, hopefully, not only calling their family to love the Lord, but they themselves loving the Lord Jesus and delighting in the Lord with all their heart and then saying to their family, family, follow me as I follow Jesus. Being courageous enough to say, I want you to look at my life. I want you to look, see whether I'm reading the Bible. I want you to look, see if I'm praying. I want you to look at, I want to, I want to be so courageous to say, look at my life and follow me as I follow Jesus. I want you dads to know, men to know, know this, that God chooses the ordinariness of fatherhood so that the next generation might put their hope in the Lord. Yes, the ordinariness of it. You say, you, 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 mean, you mean to tell me, I get up on, Get up on Sunday morning, I, I get my family together and say, we're, we're going to church. And they say, well, yeah, but what about this? What about this? No, we're, we're, we're going to go worship. The ordinariness of the consistency, the faithfulness of, 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 of you filling your heart with the joy and the delights of the Lord so that it in such a way spills over onto your spouse. You're encouraging your spouse to walk with Jesus. You're doing all you can to help your family put their trust in the Lord. God uses the ordinariness of that to reach the next generation that they might put their hope in the Lord. God's, it's, like, it's like God's willing to just put it all in the basket of you. <laughs> there you go, Dad. Husband, there you go. Third thing. When everything is going the wrong way, God is aware and he cares. Look at verses 23 through 25. During those days, since many days, notice this, many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard. God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac with Jacob it's, it's, it's basically saying okay it's time to go <laughs> time to roll verse 25 and God saw the people of Israel and God knew all of this is saying this one simple thing God saw the suffering of his people and then set in motion a plan to deliver them now you those of you, you you'd say yeah yeah yay brother man see it God heard he saw he said we're going to do something about this let's go let's do it but then there's some others, and I, I hear your voice. There's others watching right now who would say this. Yeah, well, that's all well and good. But why did God allow the suffering to happen in the first place? I mean, couldn't he have prevented this whole thing? I mean, these are the people he loves, right? These are the offspring, they promise. These are people that he loved. 
So you say, yeah, well, you know, it's well and good that he's willing now to come. But why did this have to happen in the first place? So I want us to think through this for just a moment, okay? Because I hear this quite regularly. You know, again, why, why did God let this happen? Why, why, did, why did my wife die? Why was my dad taken when I was five? You know, it's, it's all well and good. It's all well and good to you Christian people, you know, rejoice about, you know, God's promises and that sort of thing. But, you know, if he really loved us, why did he allow the suffering to happen in the first place? So let's think this through for a moment. Remember, God's promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, what included what? Offspring and land. Now, what you think with me for a moment. Without the adversity, without the suffering, we would have to ask, would the Israelites have ever desired to leave Egypt? I mean, by this time, they, they are there, they've been there roughly 400 years. Okay? And God has promised them land that flows with milk and honey. In other words, I've got in mind for you a far better place than where you're at. That's the land I'm talking about. And so do we see God's people jumping up and go, Hey, uh, hey, God, what about, what about that land you promised? We're ready to go. Anytime, we've got bags packed. Huh. No, don't, don't see any of that. And so God allows the suffering, the affliction, that they might long for and desire something better than what they're holding on to. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, in order to cut loose the bonds that bound them to Egypt, the sharp knife of affliction must be used. That's what was happening. The people of God weren't longing for, desiring what God had promised. And God knew what was best for them and wanted them to have it. In order to get them out, there was going to be some suffering. There was going to be some affliction to get them where they needed to be. But good grief, 400 years, why is God dragging his feet here? (laughs) Right? Why is God dragging his feet? Well, Genesis chapter 15 answers that question. Notice this, and they shall come back. That's the people of God. They shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know, there's a lot of answers to questions that we have. There are a lot of them that are just found in the Bible. Why does it seem that God is dragging his feet here and letting his people uh, languish for 400 years? Well, you have to, have to see this. The people who were in the land that God was bringing his people to were building up their iniquity. Oh, you, you, can, you can read all about it in the Bible, in the Old Testament especially. These, these Amorites who were living in the land of Canaan. And little by little, it's kind of like a glass. You could see it, kind of like a glass. And just little by little, they're filling up the cup of iniquity. Just a little bit more and a little bit more. And there's going to be a point which it reaches its full. And then God said, okay, that's it. That's it. I'm going to deal with it now. But in the meantime, what do we see? Why, why, is, why does God seem to be dragging his feet? Two reasons. God is patient and he is just. He doesn't wait for the cup to get half full and then go off on a tyrant and, and a tirade and just destroy them all. No, he says, I'm going to give time. I'm going to be patient. I'm a just God. And he waits and he waits. And finally the cup gets filled. So that's what's going on here. That's, that's why it may seem that God is dragging his feet. He's patient and he is just. So mom and dad, let me, let me say something to you. Moms and dads, listen carefully. Remind your kids that some forms of evil and suffering may simply be part of God's loving effort to point us in the right direction. 
Your children are going to experience suffering and evil in this world. And you cannot prevent it. And so they're going to come and go, wait a minute. In their, in their young minds, and their, even in their teenage minds, they're going to go, you know, I don't get it. I was born, all I can remember is church. I was brought up in church. We went regular and we prayed and, 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 and we served. We did this. Why is God letting this happen? It's, they're going to ask that. They're going to be thinking it in their head. You be sure of that. So mom, dad, you need to come along and be ready and help them see that, yes, God's loving effort, allowing suffering and hardship and adversity is designed to help us peel our fingers back from the stuff of this world. See, we don't, we don't see as God sees. You do realize that, right? One person put it this way, if God would concede me his omnipotence for 24 hours, you would see how many changes I would make in this world. But if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are. If we could see everything God sees, you know what we'd do? We would say, oh, I get it. See, God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Even now, even now, the church awaits the promised return of Christ. What is the delay? I mean, you, some of you, you know, you've grown up in church, you've been hearing about Christ's return, and really, sometimes down deep, you might begin to think, eh, are we just whistling in the dark here? Is he really coming back? I mean, are we, yay, are we, yeah. What, what's going on? Why the delay? Second Peter, look at this, look at this. Second Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. God is not dragging his feet, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's what God's doing. Patient, just, fair. So let me close this way. Survey. Do you long for the return of Christ? You don't have to say, shake your head, whatever. Just think about this. Do you long for the return of Christ? Does it have your attention and affection? And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, just consider this. You, you might be like the person who is standing at Best Buy. And you know back there where all the TVs are? You know, the, the big ones. The big ones with the high def, you know. And, and, and you, I can just see you standing back there going. And all the while, you're, you're looking at the video. And all the while on the audio, on the audio over the, the store, you know, they're, they're saying, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. All, all of the Father's promises are yes and amen in Jesus. It's going to create all things new. It's all in the audio in the background, but you, you can't hear it because you are stuck on the video. And then you walk away from the video. Are you by the video? Are you by this? Are you by that? And you still cry. You still cry because I thought if I had this, it'd be better. I thought if I got this, it'd be better. And you cry. You think, I don't get it. I, I get the stuff, and I get this, and I get this, but I, I'm still crying deep within me. And I just wonder, yeah, perhaps your cries are the result of God at work in your heart, tearing your fingers away from the things that you can't keep anyway. Do you understand? The things of this world... Whether it's people's stuff, you can't keep it. We're going to lose it. It's true. 
don't mean to bring you down this morning. I'm just telling you, we're going to lose it anyway. And so could it be that these cries in our heart, it's God at work tearing our fingers away from the things we're going to lose anyway so that he can give us what we can never lose. What we can never lose, that which Jesus gives freely to those who put their trust in him. You see, he is the ultimate deliverer. Yeah, God said, what are we going to do to deal with all this massive sin problem? A baby. <laughs> a baby right in the time when Herod's killing babies. See, all of this is happening in chapter 2. is pointing us to Jesus, the ultimate deliverer, who frees us from the power and the penalty of sin and who was going to lead us into the fullness of eternal life. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I wish I had more time. Lead us into the fullness of eternal life. Everything that is wrong with this world, every shortage, every lack that's in this broken world, eternal life's going to take care of. For what we experience right now, friends, is a far cry from the tearless, deathless world that God has promised us, a new heaven and a new earth. My brothers and sisters, when everything is going wrong, God is at work tenaciously keeping his promises. God is at work even in the ordinary, in the messy, and it's messy right now. And he cares deeply for his people. You know how much he loves his son, don't you? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know what that means? It means if, if you are in Jesus, you are his beloved. He cares, he hears, he knows, all while everything seems to be going in the wrong direction.